HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and we're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant. We're in the uh, the shipping container at Roberta's, and today I'm very excited. I'm with uh, someone I've known for quite a few years at this point, um, Heather Tierney, um, the owner of Pulcaria, Apotec, and the recently opened Butcher's Daughter, um, which uh, I'm excited to, which I ha- have to admit I have not yet been to, but uh, excited to check out. We're going to taste a few of, uh, of of your juices from there. But uh, Heather, Heather, welcome. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Joe. Um, so Heather, tell us a little bit about how you got into the into the restaurant and uh, and uh, cocktail bar industry. I know you were working previously, um, doing some journalism. You still have a uh, a, a consulting concierge service. Tell us a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I um I kind of landed uh, in an in a industry I knew nothing about when I was uh, 22. I started working at Time Out New York, and um, I became a food writer. And I started just with small restaurants and bars, and and I just kind of worked my way up to become the head food writer, and was reviewing tons of bars and restaurants and discovered that I had really strong opinions on what I thought was good and what I thought uh, the city needed. And I started coming up with some ideas on my own. And it all started when I found uh, Doyer Street one day. And I just thought it was so magical and had a vision of making a, a cocktail bar that was another world within this other world of Chinatown. Yeah, so Doyer Street is this, like, really unique, like, kind of elbow of a street in Chinatown and how, how did you stumble upon this place? I discovered it um, one night after you know being out with friends and you know one of those nights where you've been to a concert and then you go to a couple other bars and then you try to find 
the Brooklyn Bridge to watch the sunrise. So the state that I found the street was was magical in itself. And um, I didn't even know how I ended up there. And then I tried to find it again a couple weeks later, and I and I thought, did I imagine it? Like, where is that street? Because it's, it's kind of off the radar, and it's tucked away um, on this little elbow. And uh, I, I, I found it probably, you know, a few months later, and I... I um I started meeting with Chinese brokers in the neighborhood to see if I could get a lease on the street. I had no idea what I was doing, um, but I just started casually looking in my own time, and and everyone said there's just no way you'll you'll get anything on Doyer Street. There's nothing that ever opens. It's always passed down in the families, and 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 that was uh, like four years later. Uh, something came available, and I just snagged it. Just kind of blindly and naively. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's truly amazing story. So you knew that that was where you wanted to do something even before. Yeah, you had and the it idea. was the the brokers kept showing me other locations and in other areas, and I just said, no, it's got to be Doyer Street. And there was this one specific, um, I guess it was a karaoke bar at night and a Chinese restaurant by day and it was called Goldflower Restaurant and that's the space that Apotec is now and I that's the space I really wanted because it was in the corner and I knew that it kind of was, wasn't that busy and I maybe had a shot at at um, of, of taking it over if that business went under and um, it, it just it finally did one day and and, and I had an interview with uh, the landlord he wasn't sure at all about what I wanted to do and so what I what I did is I took him out on the town with me one night to all these speakeasy cocktail bars and he had such a good time it was 2 a.m he didn't want to go home he wanted to go to another one he'd never been anywhere like these places before and he said heather are you gonna um are you gonna do this in my in my building and i said yes henry but it's going to be even better and it's going to be even more beautiful (laughs) wow so where did you go we went to i remember we went to pdt Mm -hmm. we went to milk and honey um we went to probably a couple places that are closed now <laughs> that I can't remember, but I remember yeah, those little two. Branch and, yeah, yeah, yeah. We probably went to like four places. Wow. Um, and he uh, he he just loved it, and he was, you know, he's he was more open minded than other Chinese landlords. Sometimes they just don't want anything, any change. Um, and he was he was pretty excited, so we were able to negotiate a good lease and. And then um, we opened nine months later. And tell us a little bit about uh, where you came up with the idea for Apotec. And it's uh, it, it definitely fits into that that speakeasy genre, but it's its own thing as well. Yeah, I mean, um, my brother and I um, own the business together, and we're the creative team and the operating team. And and um, what what we knew was that we wanted to create a. Um, kind of a speakeasy uh it's less of a speakeasy than more of just of a a, another world you enter into from the street and we didn't know at that time we wanted to do kind of this pharmaceutical apothecary type um concept but while we were doing the research we we discovered that this the um the location used to be a former opium den back in the day so that started getting some ideas rolling and then we we thought well this would be cool to kind of spin this in sort of an absinthe parlor way let's bring let's bring the opium back in the form of absinthe and then then we started doing some research and found some really cool photographs of um some old pharmacies and apothecaries um european ones and back in the day you used to go and get your medicine at at the apothecary and it used to be in a liquid form and you'd go and and, you know a bartender would would kind of mix it up for you with the mortar and pestle with herbs and and liquids and you would drink it and then you'd walk out and so 
we kind of thought that was a really cool idea to kind of present the cocktails that way and to structure the cocktail list in um, sections of the apothecary. So you have painkillers, you have pharmaceuticals, you have um, stimulants, you have um, uh, health and beauty where you have like floral things and and um, herbs and things like that. That's so cool. And you know, so many of my favorite uh, uh, drinks, like Amaro and a lot of aperitifs, are, are really based in this medicinal tradition of, of going to, even you know, in, in the, the Dark Ages, going to a monastery and right. getting your herbal medicinal right. cure. You know, you have malaria, exactly. take this. You, you know, you broke your foot, take this. You have a cold, <laughs> your, your take Your leg fell off, take this. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean... You, you can come in today and talk to our bartenders and and um, and tell them kind of what mood you're in and and what kind of spirit you like and they'll and they'll make something for you and um, it is interesting to to learn the different um, different spirits you know make you feel a certain way definitely tequila we all know <laughs> it makes you feel a different way than any other spirit um, which which led me to the next venture but. Um, but yeah, you know, even if we we make uh, non-alcoholic cocktails there too, so a lot of times, you know, people don't, uh, you know, they want to go out with their friends, but they don't want to, you know, have a heavy night of cocktail boozing. We can make any cocktail on the list non-alcoholic well, version. Let's, let's dive into this a little bit more about how certain cocktails make you or certain spirits make you feel a different way. Uh, what? How does, for instance, let's say vodka? How does that make someone feel? So vodka is kind of like a really even-toned um, kind of buzz. You know, it's it's kind of like your safe bet. Um, it's it's always going to be, uh, you know, it's not going to really lapse your moods in in different ways. It uh, you can drink it all night, <laughs> um, and you should probably stick to one, not the other. Um, I, I, when we were doing our research, we discovered the gin is actually um, affects your frontal lobe in your brain. So we put that in the um, the, the stimulant um, category. So you know, it, back in the day, you know, so certain philosophers would use it to get you know their patients to talk, and it, it stimulates your brain in that way that you just want to talk about things and discuss things. So um, that that that's why we put the gin in that category, and then. Um, what about sugar cane base or some sort of rum? How about rum? Right. So um, we also have a category, which is probably our most popular category, is aphrodisiacs. And um, some rums, some, some dark rums are in those categories. Um, cognac, champagne. When you, when you mix some of these things, we have a champagne cognac cocktail that is very popular. We also have one called the Deal Closer, where <laughs> we, we, lo- we source some local Chinese um, herbs. There's this woman that has a, a, a business. Actually, there's some tunnels underneath um, Doyer Street. And back in the day, there was uh, gang wars on Doyer Street, and the, the Chinese gangs were called Tongs. This is like turn of the century. Um, and if, when there was an opera house on the street. And if there was a gang war going on, the, the actors would flee through the tunnels to get to their apartments on the Bowery. And these tunnels still exist. They're amazing. I actually looked about looked into maybe doing a little cocktail bar down in the tunnel, but it was like an egress <laughs> nightmare with yeah. the department and of buildings. And you've been through these tunnels. Oh, yeah. You can go down in the tunnels right now. Like uh-huh. They have little spice shops, and they have a little travel agency, and they have you know a notary and um, an acupuncture guy. And, you know, these are like two, two levels below uh, the street level. But there's a, there's a spice woman down there, and she sells all sorts of Chinese medicinal herbs. And one of them is an aphrodisiac that the common term is horny goat weed. <laughs> so 
on Valentine's Day, our first year, we, we created this cocktail called the Deal Closer, and just, just for fun. And um, it's been on the menu ever since. It's so popular. Wow, I could just see someone ordering, I'll have two deal closers. <laughs> like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't think I was this yeah, kind of... Yeah, it's a conversation starter for sure. That's incredible. Okay, so I, I, I'm just blown away by the, that there's actual, any like scientific evidence to certain spirits making you feel a different way. Do you think that, is there is there anything to the saying that you're not supposed to mix or you should have one prior to another? Yeah, I think... Um, I think we all know that we've had those nights we go out and we've we've mixed too many things and um, you just you just feel it the next day and um, it's kind of like when you drink good wine if you drink good wine all night you can drink a lot of it if you drink bad wine you you just you're gonna feel it the next day and it's kind of like the way you need to follow the spirits you should kind of stick to one and um, and you know vodka is always good to. I think um, if you're going to mix, I would end with vodka and rather than just, um, you know, ending with a dark spirit or mixing a bunch of different spirits. I mean, or just try to s- stick to clear spirits and just drink those or drink to the dark spirits and just drink those. But when you start mixing the light and dark, it's when you get into the, the danger zone. It's, when you get, it's where you go to the dark place. <laughs> See, I always just assume that, 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 that really crappy feeling was just from a big <laughs> night of drinking and not from, uh, from all the mixing. You know, you just probably didn't drink things in the right order. Yeah. Now, you should, you should tr- actually experiment with that a little bit and report back. <laughs> okay, so uh, tell us about, uh, a little bit about Pulcaria. Um, I just uh, actually just was there a few weeks ago. Um, we had, <laughs> it was, we did our, our executive, it sounds very, very formal and official, but it was just, you know, that executive chef and, and executive pastry chef, and me and my business partner and, and uh, Terry, who's in charge of our finance we, and our director of operations. We all went to dinner and then after we went and for drinks and dancing at Pulcaria and had a great time. Fantastic. Yeah. You told me that you were able to sample Pulque for the first time. For the first time. So what I'm still, I'm not totally sure what is Pulque. Well, tell us about it. And I see you, you brought some. It did well. bring some. I'm going to pour some for both of us to have this morning. Um, that's kind of the right question you should be asking is what is pulque? Because the story of why my brother and I opened Pulqueria is because, you know, no one knows what pulque is. And I read an article in uh, the New York Times a few years before we opened it. And I, I um, cheers. Cheers. And it was a story about pulquerias and and about pulque. And I thought, how cool is this? I don't even know what this is. Everyone knows about tequila, but no one knows about pulque. And pulque is uh, made from the agave plant as well, but instead of being distilled, it's fermented. So if you can smell it and taste it, it's got that funky, uh, you know, fermented taste, um, which also gives it a lot of its health benefits, a lot of... A lot of people think it's healthy in Mexico, and it is, but it's also alcoholic, so people mostly drink it because you get buzzed. It reminds me of, like, a funky orange natural wine. It has a, this it does. earthiness, a yeah. yeastiness to it. And it's, you know, it's foggy. It's kind of the, a, a, looks like a, a foggy coconut water, um, but it's got... Um, this has alcohol in it? Oh, yeah. This is about <laughs> the same alcoholic content as, as a beer, a little bit more, and... You know, because it's fermented and not distilled. But what's cool about it is that it's made from agave. So if you drink enough of it, you get that kind of special buzz that you get from tequila. 
And at Polkaria, we serve straight pulque. We encourage customers to try it. It's um, we're the only establishment outside of Mexico that we know of to serve pulque. Uh, we had we worked for months on getting a special distributor and able to import the pulque, and and um, we also make pulque cocktails uh, at Polkaria because some people want something with a little more jolt to it. So we'll we'll make pulque cocktails with pulque, um, a produce that's native of Mexico, like. Uh, tomatillo or jicama and then we'll put a dash of mezcal or um, tequila into it what's a, what's the most popular way to drink this in mexico it was so in mexico they have these establishments called pulquerias and they all they sell is pulque and they make it on site in a bucket it's it's very it's more working class um yeah i mean some some of the pulquerias like my brother and i went to mexico city to do some research before we started building out the, the project and we were really <laughs> shocked, actually, when we tasted it for the first time because it's made right on site, so it's kind of slimy and funky, and we didn't really know what to expect. And um, so they have different flavors. They'll have all these different kind of flavors. They have something called Rooster's Eye, which has, like, corn leaf and, and chili, or and they have uh, watermelon is very, very popular, Sandia, they call it. Um, tomatillo, they have all different flavors, and they have some really crazy ones like oyster and... Oatmeal and I don't know. Uh, there was a, a No Reservations show where Anthony Bourdain goes to a pulqueria and <laughs> tries a, tries a few of them, and he actually liked them. But it's um, it's interesting because it's a very big part of Mexican culture, and um, there's it's been around for it's been around since the Aztec times. The Aztecs used to drink pulque. And um, the thing is, is that it's kind of a story that hasn't been told. So it's crazy because there, there's so many, you know. I, I feel like we, we have almost a universal love of, you know, Mexican food. Um, at least the parts of Mexican cuisine here that that we get. And there's uh, such a huge population from Mexico here. Mm-hmm. You'd think that that being so important would be, you'd see it at at least, you know, someone in the food industry and in the beverage industry would have heard of it. Uh, right. We it, get a lot of um, expats from from Mexico City coming over and then they see that we have pulque and they're just floored. They just think they can't believe that we're serving it in New York City. Um, And then we have, you know, just our our staff. We have a lot of staff from Mexico that that works at the the restaurant and they, when they, you know, they get a shift drink and they'll they'll get some pulque and, you know, it's very, um, you know, cherished and celebrated over there. Well, I, you know, I loved it in the cocktails that we had that <laughs> night, uh, but I'm surprised to say how much I like it by itself. And yeah, how much I didn't it really... even doctor it up for you here. Usually, we put a little lime and a little mm-hmm. agave. This is just straight. It's delicious. And how much it really does remind me of a lot of these natural wines that I like. It's going to make me look at them in a, in a different way. Um, I want to hear a little bit more about uh, Pulcria, and then we're going to talk about uh, Butcher's Daughter, which I'm really excited about. Uh, just after a really quick break. This is the story of men and You're listening to Blazing Fish Cakes by Rectech on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. You know, there's no more telling aspect, no more revealing virtue of a group of people having evolved in a lovely way than how they feed themselves, how they entertain, how they put food on the table, what they put on the table. Heritage Radio Network provides the clearest evidence that there's hope for us yet. Heritage Radio's like Fairway Market in that we both care deeply about what you're having for dinner tonight. Heritage Radio Network is not just about food, though. Every time I tune in, I learn something about things other than food, too. Architecture, design, stuff like that. But from where I stand, I still say, if you can't eat it, what's the point? For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. And we're back on In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm here with Heather Tierney of Polkaria, Apotech, and The Butcher's Daughter. Um, but just wanted to finish up with a few more questions about, about Polkaria and, and your little corner on, on Doyer Street. Um, I mean, one of the things I, I really love about, uh, about those places is how you've captured something that is, that is truly unique, that has uh, a story, that has a soul, um, I'm still sipping on, on my polke and uh, thinking about how it's so uh, so unique, but also so familiar to me. It reminds me a lot of tasting maybe a barrel sample of wine while it's still fermenting, uh, and uh, I just think it's so it's just so cool that you've done this. Um, Thank you. It's it's a fun place. Tell us a little bit about about the food at Polkaria as well. Yeah. So. Um and, you know, the the way Polkaria happened was uh, there was this Vietnamese restaurant next door to Apotech, and we would kind of order spring rolls from them for parties, and um, it, it's, it was a mom-and-pop place just downstairs, and uh, the guy was retiring, and he came to us one day and asked if we wanted to take over the space. And I had had this idea about, um, I'd read this article about Polke and, and had this idea about making another place that just doesn't belong in Chinatown, and, and what more than you know, a Mexico City restaurant and, and pulque bar. So um, so the food is uh, very authentic, just as pulque is. It's, it's Mexico City street food. Um, we have uh, nightly specials every night. We do a guacamole of the day. We do a ceviche of the day. We do an entree of the day. And um, what I discovered when Chris and I went to Mexico City is that Mexican food is actually very fresh and market-driven, and the Mexican food you, you often find in the States is the opposite of that. It's processed, it's heavy, it's cloying, it's um, the opposite of stuff you found from the market that day. And so we wanted to, you know, introduce Mexican food in the way that it really is in Mexico City, which is, you know, fresh stuff from the market, you know, things prepared right there. The taco stands are literally, the, you know, they grab stuff from the farm and they just make the tacos right there. They butcher the things right there, the... The meat is all like really, really fresh, and um, you know they have these huge, really cool markets in Mexico City, and you see things, uh, you see some really eye-opening things there, um, like you know people eat eyeball tacos and things like that. But um, we kind of, you know, we left the eyeballs there, but we, we do have beef tongue tacos. Um, we have a, a, a pig's feet tostada. You know, we have some stuff that kind of hints towards the the delicacies you can find at those markets. But for the most part, it's just, it's really fresh, you know, um, 
the tacos are our best selling item. We just get people just order tons of those. You can mix and match. Um, we have a really popular enchilada suizas, which is the, the green tomatillo sauce, mm-hmm. um, the chicken, and and that's been on the menu from from the beginning. That's a really popular dish. Yeah, and so what's it like working with your brother? <laughs> I'm sure people ask you this question all you the time. What? I can just imagine. You- I think one of the lessons you learn is it's really hard having business partners. So if you're going to have business partners, it's it's probably the best way to, to enter into a business relationship because you've had this whole history of having fights and getting over them in 10 minutes. And that, that's the great thing about you know having a sibling as a business partner is Chris and I will have an argument and then 10 minutes, it's fine. And we, and we know it has to be fine because we've a business to run. And then that's just how it is in life, too, with your, your siblings. You get over things really quickly. We also have a really strong um, shared vision of design and creating experiment, experiences for the customer. So we converge a lot on, on, on what we want to create. And that makes us a really good team. And how do you divide the responsibilities yeah, so Chris, actually, Chris is the head designer for Appetek and Pulcaria, and he's the main reason why those spaces are so beautiful. And um, he, he, we come up with the concepts together, and then he just kind of takes it into a whole nother level of, um, of creativity. And, you know, he really sets the tone of, of entering into another world. And, um, and he, we work together on, on a lot of ideas. So I'll have ideas, and, and um, he'll take them into his ideas and they'll kind of merge into what they are. So tell us about the creative process behind Butcher's Daughter. So the Butcher's Daughter is a new juice bar in vegetarian cafe. And it's an idea I've had. I kind of come up with ideas and I, and I stew on them for at least a year, sometimes two, and then see if they're still so strong. And, and for me, kind of why I do what I do is, is, I have a vision and I can't really stop until the vision is created. And it's just because the vision is so strong. And I've, I've had, um, I got into juicing a couple summers ago. I went, went out to LA every, you know, the food out there is just so healthy and fresh and everyone's into kind of juicing. And, and I came back and bought a juicer and started experimenting with produce. And, and the thing is, is at Appetak, we, we have a juicer as well. And we have an herb garden on the roof, which no one really knows about. Um, and we, we make, kind of juices uh that are alcoholic <laughs> and 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 the way we I, we approach cocktails at Apotec is kind of the inspiration of how I approach the juice at the butcher's daughter so um you know we have simple juices and we have heritage juices and we like to use you know butcher terms at the um at butcher's daughter so we have like our we like plen- the term heritage heritage here. Yeah. yeah we have our heritage juices are <laughs> our pride and joy there you have six ingredients or more in those and our simple juices only have three ingredients and we did that because there's always new people coming into juicing and we want to capture every kind of customer so some people just want something really clean and simple they don't want uh they want to know exactly what's in it they they're they're new to it so those simple juices are really for them and the people that just want something simple. And the heritage juices is juices I'm really excited about. They have, we, always, we, we highlight one herb in each juice. We use some, some sort of exotic produce. Um, and we make the flavors really punchy and bold. And also, uh, the color is really beautiful. And I think I was telling you, we, we um, 
we created the juice menu uh, with the colors of the rainbow in mind. So we have red, orange, yellow, and green, and they kind of move through the spectrum of the rainbow because the color that the juice ends up being has a different nutritional property, just like we were talking about how different herbs and, and spirits have uh, created a different kind of feeling in a cocktail. So what, red, let's say red juice, for, for so, instance. Yeah, red has a lot of antioxidants. Um, we have a, our simple red juice has just beet, pear, and ginger, and mm-hmm. that has um, a lot of detox um, components in it as well. I could definitely use that after last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so today I brought you two of my favorite juices. Yes, um, what are they? They're the Waterflower, the number six, which is, um, that's good for hydration. It has watermelon, fennel, honeydew, cactus pear, agave, lime, and lavender flower. So a heritage juice. Yes, this is a heritage uh, and, and juice. Br- and a beautiful, beautiful, like bright beautiful red. Ruby, ruby pink color. Ruby pink. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we, ha- we also have a heritage juice that's called Rubies in the Dust, and that one has is the deeper red beet one. It has flaxseed oil and a bunch of other things. So this is more of the light one, so pour this one for you. And then, what are the what are some of the premises of when you're when you're coming up with a new juice? Like, how do you how do you approach that? Yeah. So basically, you know, we start with the. There you go. Thank you. Cheers. Oh, cheers to juice. <laughs> we start with. Um, I, I created the juices with my head juiceologist, and I like to call her juiceologist because, you know, we really was like mixology we were doing. With the juices. I mean, isn't that amazing? That is so good. <laughs> it's because it, I, I, it has the fennel that gives it that bite. And the watermelon has that really nice, like, subtle sweetness. And um, the lavender flower is just, like, so lovely with the watermelon. It's, it's, like, it's really complex. I mean, the watermelon is instantly recognizable. Mm-hmm. But then... It, you take another sip and you're like, wait, there's like, there's many more things going right. on here. And so it's, it's an interesting juice as well. Right. I think a lot of juices are very, like very simple, very one note, but this exactly. is like a complex juice. Like, and that's something that I noticed that was missing from the juice market is that like everyone's doing the same thing. And I don't know about you, but you know, when you look at menus and you look at wine lists and you look at cocktail lists, you either get excited or you don't. And, and I think, what was missing from some of the juice menus or juice bars is just that excitement. And, um, you know, I wanted to, to infuse that kind of punchy, bold flavors and playful and fun into the juice, you know, the juice recipes. So it's so good. <laughs> it's really, it is so, it's ridiculous. Like, I know this one, you know, it's, I, it's and I March, love watermelon juice. It's going to snow, I think yeah. tomorrow, but we're drinking this like wonderful watermelon, fennel, lavender juice. And it kind of takes you to summertime. I love, I, I try to drink watermelon juice whenever I can because I really love it, but I never had anything that, that anywhere near comes near how good this is. This is remarkable. It's pretty good. So. Okay, so I'm, I'm actually uh, slightly uh, intimidated by the next one. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's a pale green color. Yeah. And I realized that, that green juice, I always want to like green juices. I've wasted so much money, like, trying to buy well, oftentimes they're juice. just they're not good, but we drink them anyway because we feel like that we, we need them. Right. But just because it's a green juice doesn't mean that it can't be delicious. So this is our most popular juice in general. It's our most popular green juice. We have four green juices at the Butcher's Daughter, but this one's called Goddess of Green. It's number 13. This one is good for mental clarity, and it has kale, cucumber, green apple, fennel, pineapple, thyme, and blue-green algae. 
so blue green algae is the same thing as spirulina and we just um um put about a, a little half of a teaspoon in there but which will make you live forever but so we'll try this one now Let's try that is that the same as the uh, E3 Live? Do you know that stuff? I have some friends who... It's not the same as that, I don't believe. But, you know, I'm still learning about all these superfoods. It's, you know, I'll give you a little more because it looks like you're No, 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 it's today. enough green. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am, uh, it's, it's kind of the, the color of uh, a swamp that someone drops some oh, pea on, juice into. Oh, come on, it's prettier than a swamp, <laughs> it's pretty, right? No, it is, is much prettier than most green juices. Uh, again, like, I... I these always kind of don't get me too excited, but <laughs> you'll notice that the oh, time wow. the time is really prevalent in there because we juice the time and then we also make a um, an herbal elixir. So just like you would make bitters at a cocktail bar, we make kind of you know elixirs, but we can't use alcohol, so we use vegetable glycerin, and then we we let the herbs steep in that for about two weeks and then we use a couple drops of that into it which really gives it the aroma too what that is really good that's like that is i mean by far the best green any juice liquid that i've ever had it's really good and i mean that i think the cucumber is the most recognizable and then it's it's very herbaceous which yeah do you taste the fennel in that one too because you know both of these have fennel and and when i was creating the list with brandy um I kind of found out that I just love putting fennel in everything mm-hmm. because I, you know, just like cocktails, everything should be balanced. It shouldn't be too sweet. And a lot of times juices are too sweet and, and cloying and then you can't drink all of it. But this is the kind of thing where you, we wanted the juices to be, you know, right from the first sip that you just can't stop drinking it. Cause it's just so flavorful and balanced and, and hydrating and delicious. That's ridiculously good. Where, <laughs> so can I buy these anywhere other than at the butcher's daughter? So right now, we all of our bottled juices are made with the Norwalk. Those are that's why they're called cold pressed. Those are made every morning, starting at two a.m. Our overnight juicer comes in, and um, we currently really only sell them in house. But we're also selling them at a yoga studio in the neighborhood called IMU, and that's on Mulberry. I think it's one thirty-two Mulberry between Hester and Grand. And we sell that. We sell them on the Saturday classes, um, and that's been going really great. But, you know, stay tuned. We want to possibly sell them in Montauk this summer. Mm-hmm. We're working on a couple of um, couple of ideas for that. That's very cool. That's very cool. And so you go and you know that it was the same day fresh. That's the other really cool thing. Right. right? And the thing is, is they last for three days. Okay. So you can go and stock up. And, it. you know, we launched our cleanse program in January. You can come and get a six-pack of juices just like you would a six-pack of beer. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, they last for three days, but we can't keep them in the... We just sell out of them so quickly and, and we're so small that we we just make them every why, morning. Why is it, though, that, you know, you can buy some juices and it's like a month or two weeks? Well, because those months. those juices that, are, that last longer than three days, they're pasteurized. Mm-hmm. And the only way to have a shelf life in a, in a supermarket or somewhere else is, is to pasteurize it. Um, but then you pasteurize, you kill. You have to kill some of the nutrients. Yeah, I'm definitely not an expert on on the pasteurization processes out there. I think that there are some that are changing, but at the end of the day, uh, pasteurization kind of takes out the rawness of the mm-hmm. juice. And then, just quickly, if you're to buy a juicer for home use, do you have one that you recommend? Yeah, you so know, I have me. the the Breville juicer at home. Um, 
I think it's about it's around four hundred dollars. You can get it at Sur La Table. You can get it at a couple different places. I think they have one that's like a hundred dollars more, but I don't think the the perks are worth it. I think the the basic one is totally fine. Um, you just got to clean it. <laughs> that's the thing is you got to clean it after every use is the only thing that is is kind of a pain. Um, and if you don't clean it, then the, the just impossible to get some of that stuff out of there. Um, but you know, it's really easy to use. You can juice anything. Um, I guess the only thing you can't juice is a banana. I was, I was told, (laughs) although I did try an experiment with pomegranate once it didn't go very well. It didn't go so well. I don't think, um, I think that turns to poison. So you should rule number two. No, no pomegranate. No, no poison. (laughs) Um, all right. Well, Heather, unfortunately we've got to, we've got to wrap up. I've had such a good time, uh, learning, I love the history of Doyer Street and uh, learning all about uh, the, the the medicine and Apotec and like that that is just so cool and something I really relate to with especially in Italy with with the aperitif opening the stomach and the digestive closing the stomach it's it's so cool and then the pulques at Pulqueria you already had me sold and so now uh, even even now more you're gonna awesome. get onto the juice yeah I, I didn't think that I was a juicer man but uh, I might be now um, th- those were awesome so you'll definitely see me down at Butcher's Daughter soon I hope so uh, thank you so thanks much thanks for having me on thanks for having me. and thank you to, for listening uh, this has been In The Drink on heritageradionetwork.org thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>